Hi everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Jeremy. Welcome to House Calls, a podcast where we take your questions on all things related to homes, design, or anything else about buildings and the places people dwell. Call 1-800-511-6842 to get your questions answered. And remember, the advice might only be worth what you paid for it. Jeremy, we have the most amazing show coming up today. We're so lucky. Family Handyman Magazine. Our chairman of the board, Brett Berry, has been in contact with Family Handyman Magazine. We are going to be graced with Mike Berner, associate editor of Family Handyman Magazine. Let's get to it. Brett, I can't wait. This is going to be great. First, we want to thank you for uh, partnering up with us to uh, jabber about house issues with us. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is great. This is great. And um, tell us a little about what you do. Oh, for sure, yeah. My name is Mike Berner, and I'm um, an editor, associate editor at the Family Handyman Magazine. Um, yeah, and if they're not familiar with the Family Handyman Magazine, we are all about uh, DIY. You know, anything from painting a room to, uh, you know, even getting into pro zone stuff like uh, work trucks and um, grinding concrete. One of these guys that I work with quite a bit, good friend of mine, uh-huh. we actually built a project out of your magazine this year for the first time. All right. Which one was that? So I think it was in the July issue and it was the Grill Zebo. Grill Zebo. It looks like a mini pavilion with two, it's got a straight gabled roof. And it's made mostly out of pressure-treated 4x4 and 6x6. We altered it a little bit, but by and large, we built it right out of those plans. The um, The homeowner picked it out. They wanted to do something different on their patio. And um, it's really the first time we had done anything like it. And it was fun. It was a fun little project. Oh, very cool. Very cool. You should send a, you should send a picture of that. I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Will do. Awesome. And they were happy with it and all that? Very. The, the design and all that? Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, who designs that over there? I think we work with some architects doing that kind of stuff nice. every once in a while. Nice. And, um, and, and our editors are, are pretty skilled at, at, at that kind of thing, too. So, um, And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure who did that. I should find out. You can't keep track of each and every single one of your dozens and dozens of projects. <laughs> not, not just me, no. no way. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, where is Family Handyman based? We are in Twin Cities area of Minnesota. Excellent. And for our listeners, just describe a little bit. I mean, obviously, the description is in the name, but describe a little bit about the magazine as a whole, as the team you work with. There's uh, four editors that work on the print side, um, and we produce... Uh, magazine articles all about DIY. Uh, there's some departments that feature products that our readers like uh, and, and are interested in knowing about. There's uh, We do stuff seasonally, so lawn and garden things during the spring and the fall. We do a work truck section, and then we do a pro zone section that kind of uh, features different, different pro tips in, in different areas of construction. Love it. So our chairman of the boards, our producer, Mr. Brett Berry, he's waving to me through the the glass window. <laughs> he is actually a subscriber of your magazine. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Very good to hear. Yeah, big fan. I, when I tell people what I do, they're like, oh, yeah, my dad's been a subscriber for decades. That's and, great. You know, that, 
my my dad is also has been a subscriber for decades. So they're they're everywhere out there. So that's really cool to hear. Our our podcast is a homeowner centric call in show where we help homeowners uh, diagnose their home related problems. They don't have to be homeowners. They could be contractors. That's right. Designers, but um, we actually even had a tenant call in from New, New York, York City, City, not even yeah. a homeowner. So. Uh, and we try to have fun with it. You know, we try to offer the best advice possible, but also have some fun with it. And we understand that you have some questions that came through as emails through yeah. Family Handyman. And if you wanted to chat about those, we could go ahead and do that. Yeah, sure. So the first one that we have is when painting a room, do you paint the trim or walls first? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the big debate, right? What say you, Mike? Uh, if it were me... I do the trim first, always. Really? You know, there's, there's one right answer for me, but I've asked that question to a few different, you know, painters who do it for a living, and yeah. you get different answers, um, and they're complete opposite each time. So I always do the trim first. Why would you tra- paint the trim first? For me, I think it's just easier to mask off the the trim than it is to try to find that that point on the walls. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Jeremy, what say you? Well, so let's say everything's totally in place. All the trim's in place. We're making that assumption, yep. right? Yeah, because typically if it's a new remodel sure, and you're putting trim on, you would put the trim on after you paint the walls. Correct. So like, if, if you had to install trim, you would do it after you paint the walls. Correct. I would paint the walls completely first. Same. So the walls are done. Ceiling's done first. Same. Then walls. Yep. And then we would typically do... Again, this is like a remodel ceiling, job. Ceiling first, then walls, yes. Correct. Why? So that the, if there's any spatter yeah. off of the ceiling yeah. and it gets onto the walls, yeah. we can then cover it up with the wall paint. That's right. But what if you spatter onto the ceiling? Likely? Unlikely, unless you're a cowboy. Okay, go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to be, be flying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I paint too slowly. <laughs> um, let's make the assumption that... The room is there. The room is there. It's a handyman. They want to repaint this room. They have Home lots owner, of trim. DIY. Now, when, mm-hmm. when you hear trim, what do you think about? Do you think about just door and window trim or? Baseboard. Baseboard. And what else? Crown molding, right? Yeah, what if there's true. crown molding? Crown, yeah. yeah. Crown if you got it. Uh, yeah. there, I mean, there could be chair rail. Chair rail? There could be. Wainscot? Yeah, Wainscot. There could mm-hmm. be paneling. Mm-hmm. I would I would cut the walls in first, then I would roll the walls. Both coats. Two finished coats. Then I would do the trim after. Mike, I try never to agree with Jeremy. I mean, I literally, even if I agree with him, I have to find a way not to. But in this case, I'm with JK 100%. Now, I'm not a painter. In fact, I hate painting. Same here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys there, too. Yes, yeah. we all agree on something. <laughs> and my wife really enjoys it. So when it's our so projects, <laughs> so when it's our projects, she's the painter. All right, so, so why do you agree with me? Well, I know where Mike's coming from. If you paint yep. the trim first, you could take your brush and just like go nuts, right? Remember, there's a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be there all day, right? So you just kind of spatter it on. You have to be careful going down the sides where it touches the wall, but you don't have to be too careful, right? Right. So then Mike's going to come in and he's going to cut the wall just like you did. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to paint. The only reason I don't like Mike's approach versus your approach is that when I go to roll the walls with the... With the roller, mm-hmm. I could and probably am going to spatter onto that trim. 
So I would save, I would save the trim for last. Me so, personally, that's why I would go that way. I'm guessing that the difference here yeah. and is that you also don't use tape. I try not to use tape. I cut, cut, cut wherever I can. And the only right. reason I do that is because I watched the pros do it on my projects for <laughs> yeah. many, many years. And I was like, someday I will be like And it's them. just practice, really. Yeah, but guess what? I've been at this a long time. I'm still not like them. So I just know that me and painting, we're not meant to be together. So now if we're, if we're talking homeowners, would you still suggest them to do the walls first? I would. Because my, my thought is that they, they may not be good at that cutting stage that True. you guys are good at. They're not going to be good at the cutting. They can tape off if they're not good at it, but they're mm -hmm. also not good at the rolling. So what happens is yeah. if they if they do the trim first and they roll up to the ceiling or down to the base molding, you you can almost bet they're going to they're going to bounce off that base molding a bunch of times. Mike, you're being so unfair, seriously. I know. But oh, you know oh. how I know this? <laughs> because I was a rookie one time too. Yeah, you know, I w I did this. You know, let's I, not let's <laughs> not generalize though that every homeowner is a bad painter. We shouldn't do that. That doesn't uh, mean bad. I it just you. means you're not used to the way the the tools. There's nuances to every tool. That's so true. You you just get used to the nuance of using the roller, knowing what it's good at. Just like a brush, there's a nuance to using the brush. I guess I always say this. There's never one last quick question, but Mike, what's your go-to tape? I I'm a 3M guy. They're local. Oh, oh are no they? kidding. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Edge lock. Good deal. So how much can you send us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to buy it, too. Oh, no. bummer. Uh, <laughs> All so, right. it's, so it's not that local. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not we're not neighbors but i'm they're, kidding they're close enough um oh, i'm with you 3m all the way hey real quick let's wrap this up let's move on to the next one so what do we got here can i add a radon mitigation system myself how do they work and do i need one bum 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 good question radon mitigation first of all question. mike do you know what radon is you know i know it's uh something that's bad for you and that we we do a few things to to make sure it doesn't get into our uh, our houses. Yes. Um, do you guys have bad radon out where you are? Yeah, I think we're in one of those zones that that gets uh, has a little bit higher levels. Yeah, so same here. We, th there's definitely a lot of it up here. Same, same yeah, here, here where too. we are. Yes. So I tested my house once. I live in an old 1920s, uh, you know, Sears Roebuck home laid stone foundation that was later replaced with a CMU block. Mm -hmm. I did a radon test in my house back when it had a dirt floor. When we first bought it, the basement had a dirt floor, you know, and uh, <laughs> the radon readings were off the chart, like off the chart with the, with the dirt floor. They were pretty high, right? Because it's, and, and, it, uh, and the limit is typically like four, I think whatever units they measure. Yeah, I think it's four or five, and we were up like 12 or something Eesh. like that, right? Oh, was, wow. Yeah, it was pretty high with the dirt floor, which is how most people lived, geez, just 100 years ago, right? A lot of people, you know, had mm -hmm. dirt I'm basements. surprised you're still sitting here. This is wild. It's amazing, right? Yeah, you made it. <laughs> I did. But anyway, so radon is, a, it's actually technically a radioactive gas, that's, that's what it is. It's found in the earth naturally. It's found in the earth naturally, and it's found in more places than others naturally. <clears throat> Here's the really interesting part, and probably one of the reasons my house was such a high radon reading. When we first bought it, which is when it had the dirt floor, it was pretty drafty house. And in my energy efficiency class, I read a quote in a book once that was just perfect. It said, if radon was worth money and there was a way you wanted to mine it, 
the best way to mine it would be to create a drafty home because as the heat is leaving the top of the house, it's actually pulling the radon in through the bottom. Stack effect? Stack effect. There you go. Right? So you eliminate that stack effect, you eliminate a lot of the radon entering the home. But that doesn't mitigate all of it. So this person is asking, if I had to add a radon mitigation system, which is basically a fan. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the fan. So let's 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 assume that there's a concrete floor in the basement. Yeah, which okay. there usually mm-hmm. is. Yeah, right. Or a crawl space with a concrete floor. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. You're big on the building science. Yeah. The objective is to drill core a hole in that slab right and put up three inch pvc pipe one or more holes okay onto or extent excuse me through the slab yep and then just regular schedule 40 pvc like waistline Mm -hmm. and power vent it out of the house so that you're pulling it from under the slab yep and you're power venting it outside you're creating a stack effect mechanically correct but to the outside and not to the inside of your home. So I think to answer the question, I think if a, a homeowner DIYer is comfortable renting some sort of coring machine to core into your slab, which you can rent, and then correctly putting Schedule 40 PVC fittings together, I think it's doable. I think it's doable for a homeowner DIY if, if you understand how to put Schedule 40 PVC pipe together and you're comfortable coring into concrete, I absolutely think that somebody can do it. What do you think, yeah, Mike? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, too. Um, and even, do you, I may be wrong, but do you do you need to core, or could you just chip the concrete away and make a you know bigger-than-you-need hole and then fill it in later? You probably could do that, but I would not. I would rather core myself, personally, because basically, that get that airtight seal. That's the key. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you chisel away a large hole, put the pipe in, and then fill it with concrete, that concrete is now a patch or a scab, and eventually the bond between the original slab and that patch you put in is going to, they're going to separate. At some point, right. you know, just through time, they're they're not mm-hmm. going to negotiate. So, um, so you want that nice tight seal in that intact slab. Mike Berner, I, I hear what you're saying for sure. Because uh-huh. um, I think that maybe somebody might not have access to a coring machine or they might feel intimidated using it. But right. I I just look at sort of like the finished product and seeing a, a nice clean hole with a with a piece of PVC like nicely sleeved into that hole. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they can't be that expensive to rent a core machine. Here, well, let's go back to the original question. Can yeah. they do it themselves? So... If someone's not comfortable doing it, just pay somebody. Yeah, I partially agree with that. I think if you if you were to hire like a radon mitigation company, <laughs> no, seriously, yeah, like man. an like an environmental <laughs> company, right? I think there's going to be a lot of markup on that. Uh, I think yeah. if you hire a, a yeah. Jeremy Castle or a Mike Wentland or a Mike Burner or a Mike Burner, I think it's probably going to be a little bit less if you're not hiring like an environmental company. Agreed. But it can be done. Yeah. Mike, I just want to let you know, here at Silver Hollow Audio, the floor here is dirt. We just record in this booth. We're recording on a dirt floor, in a dirt floor room. So, you guys got yeah. your work, work boots on then, right? We do. And we have, you know, fresh air being pumped in and all that. <laughs> yeah. Fan going. 
so let's get on to the next question from your readers here answering here on the house calls podcast yeah let's uh let's just bring everybody up to speed here we have mike burner associate editor of family handyman magazine with us this evening recording yeah and he's got some questions from some of their readers mike wentland do you want to read the last question I will. Let me see. How do you decide whether to repair or replace old windows? All right. I can't tell you how Everybody many, take a deep breath. I can't tell you how many buildings <laughs> I walk into where the people are like, we have great plans. We want to remodel this whole place. And I'm like, great. You know, we're going to replace the windows. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they're like, Arr! why are we replacing the windows? I love these windows. Why do they say that, JK? I live outside of Albany, New York, and in downtown Albany, New York, there are historic homes and there are rules in downtown Albany about if you're going to replace a window, it has to look a certain way. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And maybe the windows look a certain way. Yeah. But they're maybe single pane glass. Right. They're not insulated behind those frames. Yeah. So maybe somebody says, Hey, we're doing this remodel. Let's get new windows in to make it more efficient. Sure. But you might lose that look. There might be a lot of bureaucratic hoops you have to jump through. Right. So the other option would be to repair it. Now, Mike, Mike Berner, when you think of repairing an old window, what do you think they're asking for here? I'm I'm envisioning lots of scraping paint and sanding and <laughs> reglazing. And, reglazing yeah. for our, yep. for the listeners out there that don't know what reglazing is. The old windows, the old type of single pane windows, they had sort of a caulk. Uh, it's real, called really, glazing. <laughs> it's called glazing. The really old stuff was more like a, a masonry product, but nowadays it's more like a rubberized caulk. It's like and putty it, almost. It's almost like a caulk mm -hmm. putty, yeah, rubberized putty. And it holds that window pane in the wood frame. Uh, just keeps it from falling out. Well, that's partially true, Mike. Aren't there glazing pins that hold the glass? And it's the glazing that keeps it, quote-unquote, weatherized? Uh, yeah, the glazing pins typically only hold it temporarily, though, until you can— uh, If you can handle them. Those things are so tiny. I know. <laughs> but anyway, so repairing a window or replacing a window, hands down for the for the for the writer who call who wrote in, just replace the windows. Absolutely, without a doubt. And are you what kind of price per window are you? I know it depends on size, but what what makes sense as far as uh, efficiency? Do you know what I mean? Well, coincidentally, our I think it was our last podcast had a very similar question. A woman called in. She said, hey, listen, um, I called a couple different places to replace windows. I'm getting drastic price differences. Why and how is this so? So JK and I explained it to her that, you know, the window, of course, is a certain price. Like you said, mm -hmm. the size, the style, uh, how many dividers or grills or muntins are put into it. Um, you know, what the materials are. Is it aluminum clad, wood interior? Is it all wood? Is it vinyl window? Those are the things that are going to affect it more than the small stuff like low E coating or argon gas because today they're pretty much standard for most of the replacement windows out there. Right. There are people who have the means 
to buy the highest end replacement windows and they should because they look amazing. They look amazing and they perform pretty well. Um, but for those folks out there who, you know, they can't afford some of the highest end windows, vinyl windows are still very, very good from a U value and, uh, and they're affordable. Maybe you don't have the means in 2018 and you can maybe do a little reglazing, a little scraping, priming, painting, maybe to get you to 2020 when you have the means. Well, okay, so I'm a prime candidate for this question. And mm-hmm. Mike, you'll you probably get a kick out of this. I literally just replaced three windows in my home, three of them, this year that have been hanging on for a long time to be replaced. I I was in that boat. I was like, I don't want to buy, you know— eight different windows to replace at once. So finally, I broke down. I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do my own replacements. I replaced three of like five at this point. The beauty of replacement windows is you can replace one at a time. You could replace one per year, one per two years. And each one you replace makes a drastic, drastic difference. Huge difference. If you do it properly. If you do it properly. We bought our replacement windows from a major box store. I won't say which one. (laughs) A major box store for, I think, now remember, I have a historic home, 1920s, standard size windows. So it was a standard size replacement window. I bought them for like $120 each. And when you do the math on what that saves you in comfort of living and also your heating bill, it's a no-brainer. We have this, this other thing that we can talk about, and that's the trend toward renovating with an eye to future resale value? And is it smart or not? Now, I've thought about this a lot, Jeremy, because like you- Mike, you just put a vinyl window in your beautiful 1920s house. Yeah, and it looks great. It looks just as good as the other Yeah, because you're going to sell the house. Yeah, but- No, would you do it if you're going to live there for 20 more years? Absolutely. Why? Because the windows, the single panes that existed there- had storm windows over them. So the storm windows were the predominant window. You really didn't even notice the original window. So I understand that, but why wouldn't why wouldn't you put a window in like maybe a 400 series Anderson or an A series Anderson or something that has a little bit more architectural character than just a white vinyl window? Because at the end of the day, people drive up to the house, drive away. They don't even think about it. Mike Burner, what do I you agree. think? I agree. I <laughs> agree. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. So, uh, two two winters ago, I replaced the siding on my house, and while I was doing that, I put a nice house wrap on it, and I replaced all the windows as well. That's a good and, job. That's a big job. Um, I did it by myself in nice. February. I think I got it all done. Oh God! And it's Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm on top of the <laughs> Sounds delightful. (laughs) So I'm in the process of of me, my wife, and my family are going to purchase a house pretty soon. We're walking through houses, and I'm noticing all the old houses, and I'm looking at mine. And uh, the houses nearby where I live right now are are selling for this much, and I'm expecting about the same. And I I did all this work to my house, new siding, new windows, and, you know, they have windows. They have siding. It's – I'm I'm with you. Yeah, you most know. people most people don't get into the level that we builders can get into. Right. And you know, it's interesting. I I've done a lot of high-end remodels where to the client um the budget was never the issue. 
They did not care about what it was going to cost. They just wanted it a certain way. So my job was to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. And I've had those high-end clients have parties, you know, and you invite the neighbors and maybe they're jealous in a certain way. But I've literally heard neighbors or friends say to the client, well, yeah, but are you ever going to get your money back out of it? And I've done the math as a builder. I've done the math on what I've done and what, you know, what they want done and what they're going to do. And it adds up to a big chunk of change. I've realized a long time ago, they'll never get their money back out. It's not, you will not get back out what you put into a home, but that a home is more than just an investment in a piece of paper. Yeah, it's your home. It's your home. It's the, be comfortable it's the there. place you live. So I literally heard a client once say, I don't care. That's not why I did it. And I was like, good for her. We need more of those. We do need more of those. <laughs> no, for real. No, really, honestly, it, it, resale value. If you're concerned about resale value, you probably shouldn't be spending the money to begin so, with. So I hate to disagree with you again. Okay, go for it. <laughs> but I think that there are some markets where you absolutely get your money back and more. And I'll give you an example. I have a cousin who lives outside Boston in Needham. She put an addition on her home. When she went to sell her house, she got all of her money back that she paid for it. She got all of the money that she paid for the addition, plus a lot, a lot of five figures. Okay. So she got her money back. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I, I think that if you do it smart and and you you can get the your money back and and I expect to get the money that I spent on my siding and my windows back in when I saw the home, for sure. But I think that's part of you know the time that I purchased the home in the market at the time and the market where it is now yeah, and stuff true. like that. That's true. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. We also wanted to enjoy the home while we lived there at the same time. So we didn't we didn't go out and get the cheapest windows we could find. We got the, you know, there's still vinyl windows. They they just operate a little bit nicer. Yeah, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, so yeah. Certain level of comfort and and that value is where we kind of fell. Are you at liberty to tell us and the listeners what windows they are? Yeah, actually, I I love them. I recommend them to everyone that I uh. I hear uh, buying new windows, and those are uh, Thermotech windows. Uh, went in easy. They didn't rack, and they're awesome. Thermotech. Good. That's excellent. We'll be back with Mike and Jeremy and Mike Berner from Family Handyman Magazine right after this quick break. So I guess back to the original question, is it smart to renovate with an eye for future resale? Well, sure. Yeah. I think to some degree. Yeah. And that's actually... I, I could say, yeah. 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 And that's actually one of the, the, I would say the two most common questions I ask a prospective client, homeowner, when I start the process of looking at a remodel. The first question is, how long do you plan to live here? Yep. Actually, it's three questions. Number two, is your family going to grow? And number three, do you entertain a lot? And oh. I think those three questions are can really drive, like, are you going to spend $80,000 on a kitchen? Or are you going to spend $30,000 on a kitchen? Mm -hmm. 
You know, are you do you want a gigantic great room because you're going to have a huge family and you entertain a lot or nah, let's let's keep the house neutral because we're going to sell it in three and a half years or whatever. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I guess the answer is it's subjective. Depends what you want out of it. Yeah, it is. You're right. Are there projects that help with resale? Do we want to go down that rabbit Ooh, hole? Or? Let's yeah. do it. You yeah. open it up. Go, go ahead, Mike. It. Top three. I think, <laughs> I think adding square footage always is a big one. Like if you're finishing a basement or finishing an attic space, adding square footage is a good help to resale. And then uh, I, I always like a good kitchen remodel. I think that helps a ton. Yep. For, and then bathrooms. Yeah. Yep. Bathrooms. Those definitely. are my top three. That's right. We spend most of our time, we're humans, right? So we spend 90% of our time eating in the kitchen and using the bathroom. I feel like I just eat everywhere. <laughs> and then the use the, and then use the bathroom. <laughs> so you got those two places covered. Uh, you're probably all right. Um, I'm in the design field. So for me, anything that's done to increase the value of a home should probably be done with good design because there's a lot of house cancer out there where people add an addition on and it's doesn't naturally match to the home. You call that house cancer? That's house cancer. Horrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Gosh. It's just a growing home that's that's not relating to I itself. Like it. Yeah, house oh, cancer. God. Oh yeah. I, I, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> oh, I try not to. But anyway, so if if you're going to go through a reno like that, it should look proper. Can we come up with a fourth? I mean, I think we're all in agreement that those are that top three. Wait, is, was that two? Or three? No, that was three. That was three? Weren't you listening? Yeah. Number one was square footage, square footage. within the existing footprint. Yeah, which is in the existing design. I like that. Go yeah, ahead. number two was kitchens. Number three was baths. Oh, God. oh, yeah. Okay, so Brett Berry has one. He wants to chime in. We try not to let him in too much, but Mike, since you're here, we'll, <laughs> we'll let it happen. <laughs> What's he got to say? Okay, so Brett read in <laughs> This is ridiculous. Can I mention the magazine? Okay, oh, Brett Brett read, Brett <laughs> Brett read in <laughs> Money Magazine. Money Magazine. That. The article said <laughs> if you paint your entry door, your main door, your front door black, it will boost the resale value of your home. That sounds crazy to me. Zillow found on average Houses with black or charcoal front doors sold as much as six thousand two hundred and seventy-one dollars more, more than expected. That, Do you think you guys want to write up an article and send everybody out to paint their front door black? <laughs> what do you think, Mike? Uh, I, I don't know what to think. Um, I've heard, I've heard the the color pop on the front door is nice for curb appeal. I don't know. I don't know. $6,000. That's a pretty short job for that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, it is a $15 investment for $6,000 more. So may I'm, as well. I'm yeah. doing it for any of these projects. If you had to hire someone, what would you look for? Things to consider when choosing a contractor or tradesman. We should, we should say tradesperson. Tradesperson. Yeah. Right. Because right. I'm a big fan of women entering the industry. Yeah, I've worked with some some female carpenters who, man, they they swung a hammer like nobody. Same, and the so. wood it, it, woodworking in my woodworking lab, incredible, incredible craftsmanship and patience and diligence. Yeah. it's pretty great to watch. And my female students in middle school were always, you know, they they had the boys beat far and away. <laughs> they usually do. Oh. <laughs> I'm in a house of three girls, so I can't win. So am I. Okay. It's that simple. Uh, 
I, I have not hired that many contractors, but the, the last one I did was for a patio that I, I had put on and we had just had a baby, so I wasn't going to do it. Stone patio? Um, uh, brick, yeah, paver yep. patio. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't that happy with them. And I think there was some red flags that kind of went off early that I should have realized to, to find somebody else. Talk about them. We got to hear them. Yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, changing dates that, you know, we had previously oh, yeah. agreed upon. Yeah, that's a big, big one. However, that's a big l- one. I'm going to defend, I'm going to defend your, your hardscape contractor. You know why? Because if you're in Minnesota, you probably have like a month of decent weather in the middle of the calendar to be able to lay a patio. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I agree. <laughs> but. But. When, I'm joking, of course. But, but <laughs> yeah. go ahead, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. This this particular person. Jeremy's always think, late to jobs. That's what this well, is stop about. stop it. <laughs> Texted me or emailed me or got a hold of me. I think and changed our 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 meeting time within two weeks, maybe six times. So that was that was not a smart move by me. But uh, he was like you say the all the landscaping contractors out there are super busy because there's just a short amount of time that we've got to work. But it ended up being he picked up a bunch of jobs kind of at the same time and put a few of them off, and mine was one of them. And uh, so. Okay, so beyond the schedule. Yeah, uh, I mean, showing up late than mm-hmm. later than he had, uh, when he was going to show up, showing up later than he had said he was going to be, like showing up at 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, not cleaning up after themselves. I mm-hmm. think you got to make sure you have a contractor who does that. I think that's a mm-hmm. just a good faith thing. I'm going to say that all contractors suffer from that, all of them. False. No, all contractors. Well, go, uh, okay, go ahead. Because somehow you have to do the work. Even if you're a woodworker, you have to go outside and make cuts. And if it's pouring for a week, you can't do much about that. So the point is, is all contractor schedules change typically because of weather or unforeseen circumstances on the previous job, whatever. So it's normal for that to change. To change six times in two weeks, not so normal. So like you said, right. Mike, that's probably a good red flag. Two is showing up later in the day. I don't really blame contractors for that because myself personally, my mornings, my first two, three hours from seven till nine o'clock are the most busiest. You know, you're doing paperwork, you have to make phone calls at some point, and you have to get materials for that job to show up to that job. So a lot of really good contractors can do uh, eight to 10 hours of work in five to six hours. So for them... Part of the job is just running around for hours. And then the third one, what was the third one? Not cleaning up. Okay, so that one, that I do not defend. You should always clean up. You should do a thorough cleaning, thorough. Like it should look like a professional place of work at least once or twice a week. Um, You should definitely clean up your stuff, your lumber, your debris, et cetera. Pile it up in a pile or, you know, just condense everything every single day. I mean, and sweep the site every single day. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that this is not hard. So just very quickly, aside from the red flags, were you happy with the workmanship? Um, there were some things that I, we had discussed, uh, that, that I guess weren't up to my, the way that I thought we had discussed them. 
Um, you know, meeting the meeting the pavers with the stairs was a little bit lower, and I had specifically said, oh, "Yeah, you got to bring it up to here to make you know the step make sense." And 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 these were all things that were like when when he had finished, they were done. He wasn't going to oh, take yeah. them out. No, it right, was right. going to be, you know. You mentioned the stairs. So was the rise run not right? The rise was a little bit too tall. Oh, uh, that's a big no no. And I had planned to put like these. Uh, uh, porcelain outdoor porcelain tiles on top of it anyways so i had pre-planned that and asked him to come up to a certain level and he didn't make it yeah gotcha so, i get it because right. that would increase the rise so our right. our yeah. producer here mr brett barry has a question for you and um the question basically is like now that you went through that process in hindsight what would you do or what would you have done differently or, you know, just moving forward for the next time. Yeah, like, what did you learn from it? Maybe you can enlighten our listeners and, and just yeah, think about yeah. what you would do differently. Right, right. Um, I think uh, a big thing would be make sure I get good references. Bingo. You know, talk to a few people that he, uh, he had done work for. Right. Yeah, I, that's huge. It, yeah. Right. And it, it was a crazy point in my life. You know, baby, new baby, two-year-old. And uh, I just didn't have the time to do it. I just said, go for it. Mm-hmm. So, right. Mm-hmm maybe be there more often, be, be at the job just to, you know, check in with him more often. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Never yeah. over the as, shoulder, as opposed, but at least right. once a week, once a day, every other day. Yeah. 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 I'm as actually, opposed to just letting him do it and talking to him later on kind of thing. Yeah. It, you know, I'm my own worst critic with work, but in a way I'm, I'm more comfortable when the homeowner checks in once a day. Same. Because then th- they can see your, pr- your Same. progress. If there's something that needs to be remedied, you can do it sooner than later. They can know. also get a better understanding of what it's actually taking to get it done. Yes. Because many times people, unless you do this for a living, you have no idea what it takes to put it together. Right. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Did, did we hit all that? I mean, we could talk this one to death. Oh, my goodness. Right. right. Mike, I love it. Family Handyman <laughs> here on the House Calls podcast. This is great. And we appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. Oh, yeah, no problem. This is this is the highlight of my day. It was fun. That is excellent. Actually, when you get that overtime check, you know, <laughs> feel free to write a little, you know, donate, whatever, you, you know what I mean? Yep, I just, uh, I just recorded that so I can bring it to my boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Mike, listen, we can't thank you enough for joining us for this House Calls podcast. I really like what you guys are doing. Thank it's, you. Uh, Thank yeah, you. Appreciate it. Fun to listen to, and it's good info for for everybody out there. Now I got to put you on the spot, Mike Burner. Who do you like more, me or Mike? Oh man, guys! I didn't ask it. I did. I I, I wouldn't expect just, you to. Just say Mike. <laughs> just say Jeremy. Just say Jeremy. <laughs> I got to go with my fellow Mike there. Uh, <laughs> You, uh, you put me in that spot, so. Thank you, buddy. Okay, fine. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Fair enough. <laughs> I should have said Brett, though, right? Oh, oh yeah, there you go. That is the best. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, we got to let Mike Burner go home and see his family and have some dinner. Yeah, and, t- and tell all about the uh, horrific uh, experience <laughs> he had here on the house call. What I'm hoping he's going to oh, do man, is go. You guys are hard on yourself. Uh, tell. <laughs> Horrific. No, not at all. <laughs> oh, that's great. Too much fun. Mike Burner, thank you for calling. Jake. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate your time. Too much fun. And listen, we want to wish you a happy holidays. 
because this will probably be out before the holiday season. Thank you. Thank you. You guys too. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll chat soon. We'll do this again. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to. All right. Be well. Thank be you. Be well. Thanks. Adios. Thanks for listening to the House Calls podcast, recorded at Silver Hollow Audio with your hosts, Mike Wentland and Jeremy Castle. This episode was produced by Brett Barry, distributed by Anchor. Be sure to click that subscribe button and call us so we can feature your home question on the show. 1-800-511-6842. That's 1-800-511-6842. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.